This week on Trek, Mary Kill. Flirting, genocide, Tuvok. Next. The Federation took my family. Now I will take yours. They're here. Weapons ready. Spread chaos. Thor, we need your help. Why would I help you, Picard? Damn it, Lord! Engaging fighter. Grenade! I warned you. It would end this way. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. And I'm Josh. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a Star Trek podcast, which soon research indicates to be an anomalous form inside Jean-Luc Picard. Joining us this week is Josh. Josh has won an Emmy Award for writing Phineas and Ferb the movie, Candace Against the Universe. He's also, per his IMDb, the only human being on Earth to have written for both Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Doctor Who. He's written for Disney's Hamster and Gretel and The Last Kids on Earth, the animated series, his first original middle grade novel, Shipwreckers, The Curse of the Cursed Temple of Curses, or We Nearly Died a Lot which he wrote with Scott Peterson, came out in 2019. Josh, welcome. Uh, thank you, Brian, and thank you, Krista, for having me. A, a pleasure uh, to be here today. You had mentioned right before we started recording, right, Brain, but you're you're an artist through and through, right? I think that's what you would call yourself first. Yeah, I think so. It's an, it's a, it's an interesting, actually, question because I've always kind of done both. Uh, but I started my career as a storyboard artist and uh, segued into writing full-time, which is what I do now. And you're very successful at it. But Star Trek, that's why you're here. And what? Uh, how familiar are you with Star Trek? And do you remember the first time you saw it? Uh, I do. So I have kind of two points of entry. So first was uh, my parents loved the original series. And my dad kind of turned me on to the uh, movies. And I have a very strong memory of seeing Star Trek two in theaters and getting freaked out because of the ear thing that Khan oh, yeah. put and like his super amazing close up, great special effects. And then have another memory of seeing Undiscovered Country as like a double feature the same night I saw Beauty and the Beast. Um and like <laughs> wow. it was a crazy <laughs> evening. Um look kind of my strong my strongest Star Trek memory, it's kind of my favorite, is I so I knew the classic show. And I I remember seeing um, Star Trek Four in theaters. I'd seen all of them really at that point. And they, you know, there was this announcement that there was going to be a new show called The Next Generation. And I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy! Like a new, it's coming back. That's so weird, but it's going to be new characters, whatever." And so I kind of had this instinct. I was like, "I had to watch it. I have to watch it." And at this point, I think I'm, you know, nine or ten years old. And I remember I specifically asked my mom if we could, we're having a spaghetti dinner, if I could bring the TV into the kitchen so I can watch the premiere. And I just fell in love. And so Next Generation is really like my cast. It's really my, like, like I love them forever and ever and ever. Um, and so that was one of the first shows I can remember watching really religiously, like before X-Files, like that was my next one, but next generation was like, this was it. Like this was my crew, you know, my mom and dad, they had their crew. 
and next generation was like mike oh i you know what that's the same for me actually the x-files oh, when nice. he said that it just jogged in my memory is like yes i was as obsessed with the x-files it was like i aged i graduated from star trek into the x-files was sort of how it felt that's it man i totally am with you there yeah all three of us then basically yeah next generation this is our this is our mm-hmm. star trek yeah yeah yeah, ab- yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and so star trek picard uh, especially season three has definitely been like, hey, olds, one last trip to the well, huh? Oh, my <laughs> your God. Paramount Plus subscription money, please. Yeah. <laughs> all those boxes and like, you know, all those nostalgia feels, but also great Trek. Like also just I, I mean, there, there's some there's some amazing TV in here. And I think there's some classic episodes this season. Well, this week, Josh is here to play Trek, Mary Kill with the seventh episode of Star Trek Picard's third season, Dominion. It premiered on Paramount Plus March 30th, 2023, written by Jane Maggs, directed by Deborah Kampmeyer. One of the few times in Star Trek history, and I went through and I counted, when an episode has been written and directed by women. Mm -hmm. It's happened 19 times where a woman's directed and a woman has written and in uh, 10 of those instances, though, it was the woman was a part of a team or co-wrote it with the guy. So it's only been nine times. This is one of the nine times. And most of them have been since 2020. But this is one of the very few times in 808 live action episodes that a woman has written it and a woman has directed it. So are you, are you uh, saying there wasn't that many there weren't that many female <laughs> directors and writers in the original series? Is that what's being that's, alluded that's so to, Brian? To Is that well? I knew yeah. there were there are definitely women writers, but I definitely did not even bother not going to check to see <laughs> yeah. if a woman, yeah, a woman director, uh, because I could the the Mad Men screaming from the past at me from hell saying a woman di- abroad directing that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah, as you put as you put your cigarette out and that's yeah. right <laughs> on someone's dreams exactly. Which that's is right. interesting because <laughs> the early like silent days of Hollywood, they were like, oh, yeah, sure, women can direct because it's just, you know, it's easy. We're not really making art here. And then and I there, wait and a there second. A of, and there are a couple of um, female directors in the classic series of Doctor Who, which is another of my, like, favorite, like, you know, sci-fi universes. But, yeah, they, it, it is very rare. It is typically rare. But how have you felt about the season of Picard? I've had lots of feelings um uh about this season i think um i think up to so no spoilers so up to this episode um i thought no win scenario was maybe one of my favorite trek episodes of all time and so i felt like you know the batting average overall has been really really solid and i think that in general and i would love to hear what both of you think i think in general what this team is getting right is the kind of characters and emotion and kind of the rest of it is, you know, there's some interesting ideas. There's some um, like some funkiness here and there in some of the plotting and some of the structure, but overall, like they know where the heart of this is and the heart of it is these characters who we adore. And so mm-hmm. that to me felt, yeah. What, what do both of you think that that's kind of my big takeaway personally have really liked it up until um this point Mm -hmm. um but i am less bogged down on like the little nitpicky details than Mm -hmm. brian is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) so i am able to 
uh, kind of compartmentalize those feelings um, and enjoy something. Yeah, you still know. <laughs> you still know what joy is. Is that Kristen? That's like yeah. You yeah, have, you have feelings yeah. and yes, and can experience joy. Yes. Yeah, like I, I don't watch things if I don't like them. Yes. Or if they or if they make me like really anxious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I personally liked this season. I wasn't so hot on last season. Yeah, to the point agreed. where I stopped watching after three episodes. <laughs> I did the same thing. I gave. I kind of gave up. I did you get bad, to the the party city um, pirate costumes and? I may have barely got there. Like, <laughs> yes, I, I may have barely got there. I felt yeah. like I needed to get on a different ship. This was not my ship. I needed to get on mm-hmm. a different ship. That, that's what it felt. Yeah. Like. I think. Yeah, I think the season's been great. Hey! <laughs> I, I thought I was. I feel like I was unambiguously uh, positive about the season this season, but yeah, we don't need to talk about the well, other seasons. Well, from like the way you tweet about it, sometimes I'm like, I don't even know if you really liked it or not. And it's not until we get into it in the in the podcast when I'm like, oh, maybe you did. It's just that it. it I mean, this is always the temptation when you're reviving a property, and and that mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. I am a person who is very much. I strenu I strenuously object to nostalgia and it and attempts to uh-huh. to to settle yes. for that. And I think a lot of the stuff that gets revived, but let's speak directly to the X-Files. Those revival seasons shouldn't have happened. They kind of ruined the X-Files in retrospect. They were so poorly done. They were just really bad. I mean, that's a dramatic way of saying like this shouldn't have happened, but I, there's just a part of me that's also recognizing that a lot of the stuff gets programmed just to the nostalgia. So we talked about this when we did no end scenario and Josh, what you said, I, I mean, that episode you could pull out of this season and drop Precisely. it in and it would still work on its own, which again, I don't think every episode has to do that in a, ser- especially in a serialized situation, but the fact that they were able to achieve that and, and it both played on 30 years of next generation, but also stood on its own as just a, as its own thing. Uh, was impressive. And I think that's what I've been most surprised by that they've managed to pull off quite a lot. And I agree. There's, there's some funkiness for sure. And I think in this episode, a lot of that, a lot of the stuff they were rushing to get to the good stuff that this one, this episode feels like it suffers a little bit for what they were trying to do. I have, I have a writerly theory about that, that when we get into it, that uh, that I would love to share with both of you and, and, and why that might be the case, and what might have been the pressures on this particular creative team in this episode. Oh, I can't um, wait to hear it. But but when we yeah when we get there when we get there. Well, I just want to rush through a couple of other general topics just real quick because I feel like they're important. And the next one, how are are you both digging the character of Jack Crusher slash Ed Spleer's performance of that character as you understand it? Uh yeah, this is the first episode. Where I was like, mm, maybe they should just throw him on a shuttle and leave him somewhere. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um, because I was like, he's more trouble than he's worth. Mm-hmm. And like, for whatever reason, during this episode, I had a hard time following his accent. And that's not usually a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like he, he was hamming it up more uh, for that. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, um, I may have soured on Jack Crusher a little bit. Yeah, I think I think this, there's there is some uh, things are being stretched very thin in this particular episode. Mm-hmm. 
and I think a lot of that is reflected in in Jack's character because there's an assertiveness and you know he kind of calls himself a pirate uh, earlier in the season and then later on and like there's definitely things here where he needed to get into gear and he doesn't there's a handful of times when he does thank goodness but the very much this is I think this is like a bridge episode. This is a bridge episode between larger plot points of the season. And I think it suffers for that. And there's things that feel a little bit like filler. And I think, you know, obviously Jack's at the center of it because at some point, you know, we're turning to our favorite characters and going, okay, come on, you guys, we got to do something. Yeah. It's yep. his kid. But like, even he wants to sacrifice himself. And you know, how mm-hmm. many times can he say that? Um, so I think he's trying to give it all uh, he can, performance-wise. But I definitely feel like, yeah, it's a little thin on the vine getting us to, like, from here to there. Right? Yeah. It's a lot to ask of the audience to give a new character this much benefit of the doubt and to try for to this invest long. this much into for yes. this long. And yep. we yep. still don't fully know what the fuck is going on with him. No. And I think at this point in this episode, I think we've reached like an emotional tipping point in suspension of disbelief, like where we needed a little more meat mm-hmm. there uh, having without spoilers for later on. But like there's definitely things that happened toward the end of the season that I wish they had pushed back here because it would have filled out and put some more meat on these bones mm-hmm. so that it didn't right, so that we weren't feeling that way. Yeah, I have actually not seen the rest of the season. I, I'm only watching these as... As you go? Great. As, yeah, as because we yes. record. I, I will be very careful, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ed Spleers is doing a, a great job for having two sort of weird things working against the character. Uh, he is older than the character's age, and that's hard to play down to the age. Considerable <laughs> margin. Yeah, by a lot, by quite yeah. a lot. And he doesn't look for an Englishman. He looks pretty good for his real age. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. He has all of his hair for one thing. That's very un-British of him. Mm-hmm. For a while. But, uh, but and I assume all his teeth. <laughs> Hollywood baby. Well, yeah, I, we don't. Know. Yeah. And the other one was. He is essentially a damsel in distress and mm. they're they're trying to write around that by him being a pirate, but not him being a Lothario, but not. And him in this episode in particular, they give a they kind of throw a smoke bomb as a distraction of like, see, he has agency. He has the idea to leave the ship because he's causing all these problems but he has no yeah exactly but it see he pointed it out no one had to point that out to him so he has agency and it's like no it's just so he has a very tough character to play and i don't know what they could have done i think if they had two more months to work on this storyline for the season for the whole season a lot of this stuff would have been ironed out pretty well but I think he's doing a pretty phenomenal job. And as, as Kristen, I agree with you. Is there points where it's like, ah, oh, he's losing me. I'm like, it's not really him. I, I'm like, as no, I'm watching, I'm like, it's yeah, it's, it's just like what they're having him do. It's like, why are they doing this? What the, what the team is kind of providing to that performer. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah. He's going to, I'm going to bring all the heat I can, but uh, you guys get handed me a banana peel. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
So then, again, just wanted to rush through some general thoughts. Amanda Plummer, to this point, this is kind of a, a really big episode for Amanda Plummer. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how, how are you feeling about Amanda Plummer to this point? I like watching her eat the scenery because I feel like yeah. she is she is super present. And I think there's times where our cast is being handed a lot of exposition. So I think I look forward to her, like, really chewing those words and really making some bold choices and trying to be, you know, kooky. And there's uh, thematically some of the stuff in this episode, there's a lot of theater happening, right? So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like, oh, we're, we're masquerading the ship as being, you know, uh, derelict or we got attacked. Right. So there's a lot of theater. And then in the midst of that, you know, she has her backstory. So there's a theatricality, I think, to some of the stuff in this episode that matches her performance. And I also feel like if you're going to do like, if you're going to do a Picard series, having somebody of that caliber is just great fun. Like you can, you can really see those times where the budget's being stretched in some of these Mm -hmm. action sequences. However, I think putting someone at the center of it, who's going to make a lot of choices, even if sometimes they seem broad that, I mean, that's just fun to me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think she understood the assignment of being a Star yes. Trek villain. <laughs> yes, I like um, that. I like the phrasing of that, Krista. Yeah. That's right on. That feels right on to me. Yeah. So I yeah she under she understood the assignment. Um, I think she's doing exactly what you know she needs to be. It's a little mustache twirly, but not mm-hmm. to the not overdoing it. Even though, like she is over the top as a character, just like her mannerisms, how she pronounces Picard. All yes. those things, like all those little idiosyncrasies, but it's not, it's not so bad that I'm like, oh, this lady again. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not annoying, mm-hmm. I guess. It's not grating on me so far, at least. Right on. She's fantastic. I just, we needed to talk about her. She's a big, focal, <laughs> yeah. she's a big focus of this episode and I'm sure we'll, she'll come up again, but she's been in and out and now we finally are confronting her in a, in a very even for Star Trek, a very contrived way of getting her onto the ship. But this is the point in the season where we needed to, like oh you gosh. said, Josh, bridge the storylines. Uh, yeah. And I guess just the last couple of points, since this episode definitely pulls in other parts of the Berman era, it's got a lot of Deep Space Nine. And just by virtue of, of the changelings, it's got Deep Space Nine, but like they're hiding in the Chintaka scrapyard. Chintaka was a major battle system. And then we've got Tuvok, as Kristen said right uh-huh. up front. Uh, oh, I, I guess we're all comfortable with the DS9 and, two, and Voyager references. We all watch those. We are, we're all happy to see Tuvok. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love seeing Tuvok. Yeah, Voyager Kristen, music cue. Yeah, yeah that, Voyager uh, music actually, cue. Yep. that was one of my favorite bits, actually, was using that music cue. And it's, I, that's actually one of my favorite Trek themes. Like, I love the mm-hmm. theme for because I think that's actually Goldsmith. Who yep. did the Voyager theme? He did. So it's a beautiful yep. cue, and I thought kind of really deftly used as a way to convince the audience that we're going one way when we're not. Yeah. So that I thought was really great. All right, so let's move into some straight thoughts about this specific episode that don't fit into the uh, into the grades. Does anyone have anything? I have a few things, but I actually don't have anything. Oh, okay. I've got funky stuff, but now I'm concerned that they might fit into some of the categories for later. Well, we can. We also do stray thoughts at the end too. Okay, lovely. So if you want to like yes. stay, if you want to miss something, hold then them. We can come. Keep back. them close to the vest, and then you can. I love that idea. Fit them in if you need to. 
I mentioned Chintaka. Chintaka is where is the system where Nog got his leg shot off, and it was where the Defiant was destroyed in Deep Space yeah. Nine. And it was also referenced in Strange New Worlds as one of the planets. It's like right as it was joining the Federation. I thought it was goofy that Vadic's boss, the floaty flesh face, called Jack <laughs> Crusher the boy. <laughs> I mean, again, Ed Spilliers is 35 or whatever, but mm-hmm. even even though Jack Crusher is 20, a boy? I don't know. Well, whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, why does Sydney's phaser blast not vaporize the changeling, but Jack's did? Oh, yeah. That was annoying. Yeah, weird. She said hers to stun, maybe. <laughs> But it put holes in the guy? All right. But, uh, I'm just kidding. It's, it's just it's kidding. like convenient stun holes. That's what it says mm-hmm. like, on the gun. Yeah. <laughs> like, to you encourage. don't want to kill them, but you want them to be uh, horribly disabled the rest of their life. That's right. We have to get out of this scene. Stun it's a new setting. setting. It's yeah. a standard issue, Brian. I don't know. I can't believe you know that. Right? Yeah. Does it, wait, doesn't it say that on your phaser, Brian? <laughs> it, oh, crap. It doesn't. Damn Main. it. Uh, this episode really emphasizes that there's Starfleet fill jackets, the leather ones. Uh, we had seen Raffi wearing one in hers, oh, right. but this time, because now the Titan's gone rogue, now Seven's wearing one and Shaw's wearing one too now. So now they're super cool. But I just want to talk about those because uh, they were designed by Mike, uh, Michael Crow, who is the costume designer on this particular show for this season. But he previously had been the assistant and associate costume designer on uh, for Marvel for Civil War, Guardians 2, mm. and both of uh, Infinity War and Endgame. And uh, he, he was the full costume designer on Falcon and Winter Soldier, Hawkeye. So On Loki, too? or just No, not two? on Loki. Sorry, not on Loki. Okay, Don't yeah, worry, Kristen. I would have been very aware. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, so he's been the he's used to, so different yes so he's used to designing superhero costumes effectively so that's what these leather ah. jackets uh, uh so so that's like yeah that's comfort level yeah so i've been pulling from these collider interviews that terry metallis did after every episode and he was asked very specifically about these the question was uh what happened between episode six and seven that had seven and shaw being like i'm gonna put on these badass leather jackets is that their we're on the run now outfit? And Terry Mattel says, that's exactly what it is. So we call them field jackets. So they're not quite in Starfleet uniforms. They're kind of ready for anything was the look. Any minute you might need to beam off the ship and get in some rough and tumble was the idea. And they're just cool. And then Collider says, okay, so my first question is going to be about the costume change at the top of this episode. What happened between six and seven that had seven and shot? Oh, I already said that. Um, I deleted the bit. Here is the here is the last bit. I double copied this quote, but his basic thing is <laughs> his basic thing is that every one of the cast uh, wanted to keep theirs and and all of them took them home and Paramount had to send people after them to force them to give them back. That's oh how much the cast God. love their jackets. Yeah, <laughs> give them the jackets. I know. That's going to go in a box. Come on, guys. Oh, I did have one. <laughs> I did have one stray thought that I wanted to share. Great. Uh, and it's just an observation that I thought was really interesting about what they're, the threads they're pulling from, from Next Generation, the things that are kind of top of mind when people think about like the show overall, were, uh, this approach to like you know what it means to be human. So I think one of the things that's kind of cool about the season, initially it's, it's very confusing. And it all starts to kind of piece together in this episode when we're learning a little bit more about Vatic. But we got a lot of Pinocchios, gang. We've got <laughs> changelings, 
Picard is his own mm-hmm. Pinocchio now. We've got Seven of Nine. We have Vatic. We have Jack, whatever's going on with Jack. And we have Data. So there are a lot of people who are human and not human. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that occurred to me, because I watched this episode twice, because the first time I didn't care for it very much, and I liked it better the second time through. And that was one of the things that I kind of pulled out was I was like, oh, top of mind when I'm thinking about Star Trek Next Generation, I'm thinking about, you know, Data's storyline. And I'm thinking about, you know, the like those elements that kind of made me think of what Next Generation was about and how they put such an emphasis on like you know data's journey to be human and then this idea of like pulling in the dominion war and pulling in the changelings and then picard is barely human himself right so kind of taking all these pieces and going well let's talk about it right so Mm -hmm. instead of it being instead of it being a bizarre aspect or an inconvenient aspect of the of where we are today in the the storytelling it's like no 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 let's pull all those things together so, like, instead of making it a bug, let's make it a feature, right? So, I mm-hmm. like that. I was appreciating that a lot more. All right, let's get into the grades. Are we all ready to take the trip and go into the grades? All right, great scenes. Josh, please, as our guests, go first. Oh, cool. I have a, uh, so I'll, we'll start with one. Yeah, we'll go around. Yeah, sounds good. Great, great. Um, so, I think one of my first favorite scenes was the Jack and Sydney flirty elevator scene. And <laughs> I super loved, like, even though it's super weird and I have other issues with it, I actually really liked the, like, you know, him hearing her thoughts. Because I liked the flirtiness from previous moments in previous episodes. So seeing more of that here, I super dug that. I mean, we all like Ashley Sharp Chestnut as Sydney LaForge too, right? Oh, mm-hmm. man, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and so and uh, and Alondra and her sister too. Like they, yeah. they're such standouts think, to me. I think they're both yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, I put. I just wrote down Tuvok, you son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ah, nice, perfect. Wait, the scene where Seven of Nine and Tuvok are talking, and then she's trying to suss out if he's a changing or not, and then she figures it out. I'm like, ah, that shifty Tuvok. It's, it's not really scene. him. I know it's not really him. No, but it's a great scene. Love that scene. scene. Yeah, great scene. That was on my list too. I'm with you. I'm with you. As a huge fan of the movie Sneakers, that was the "Can you guarantee my safety?" scene where they're tracing the call. (laughs) They have to hang up. There you go. There you go. (laughs) So those are always fun scenes as well. Yeah, I had both. I had that one, but also Picard and Jordy deal with the new data, or rather, the Daystrom Android M510. And uh, there's yes. many great lines from the episode, which woke me up with laughter at 1145 at night in that scene where nice. lore keeps pushing through, uh, but also where Jordy's describing that this is different. This isn't the positronic brain I dealt with all those years on the Enterprise and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And also just the idea that Data's like, help me, Captain, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I thought all mm-hmm. that all that really played well, even though... As someone who want, has seen every episode of Star Trek Picard, I was sick of that Data Picard storyline. <laughs> so, and also this helped return us to the fact that Jordy and Data were friends, which the movies got yeah. away from quite a lot. 
And yes. then season yes. one, absolutely didn't even acknowledge that Data had any friends. It was just his relationship with Picard. So mm-hmm. it was nice to see that all returned. Um, I would like to say that lore roasting Picard for being old <laughs> and well, they really Jordan's dug into that, didn't they? For being yeah. a little bit slow on the uptake. Um, that was yeah. really funny. I liked yeah. it. Yeah, that's funny. He did. He didn't know. He didn't know yet to insult his wine. <laughs> but I think it's Laura's a smart guy. I think it's coming. Yeah. I have uh, one and a half more scenes that I thought were actually great. So then the other scene where Laura is taking over the ship and, and Jordy's pleading with him. And, yeah, and it's, the problem is it's intercut. So it's like hard to say it's a great scene, but if you just look at the data or the data and Jordy part of that, yes, it's yes. incredible. And Brent Spiner says he's never seen LeVar be better and it felt real. And again, if you love that Jordy and data have been friends for so many years, it's heartbreaking, but also it's like, yes, their friendship. I would have loved if they had cut to his daughter, a reaction of her watching this. I don't know. Agreed. Don't know why we didn't get Agreed. that. Um, yeah. No time though. They couldn't light that. No, 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 no time in the money. Oh in the no, budget it's for there. You it. just couldn't see it, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And then no. the the half uh, was I personally, and I I don't know. At least if I remember the online chatter, people didn't. I liked Amanda Plummer's performance of her backstory. I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. like the story itself and what it mm-hmm. said, but she was so compelling and it was like, I felt for her. And I also, the horror elements, I feel like it only works because Amanda Plummer is delivering it. I also have the hallway fight with Jack and Sydney when Jack is kind of like in her brain. Okay. That part of it is like a coordinated, mm-hmm. it took some rehearsals. So I, mm-hmm. I liked it. My thought about that scene was it should have been that they're trying to uh, get to Jack and he's locked up and they're trying to use Sydney to get to him and that it doesn't quite work the way they do it now. It's implied, but they really seem like they're just trying to kill her, right? They're not trying mm-hmm. to, the, to torture her to get Jack to just surrender. So no, it's not real clear. It's not, yeah. it's not super yeah. clear. Yeah. Also surrender is the name of the next episode. So maybe that's why they're like, it no is. surrenders in the next episode. Go stretch we can't even out. talk about that in <laughs> <Yeah>. this episode. <laughs> we can't even drop that idea. No, don't do it. <laughs> don't ruin it, Brian. Oh my God. Best track tropes. So for me, it was really the, the big idea of the, of the trap and specifically like I was saying, the bit of theater with the derelict Vulcan ship and the recorded transmission like that, like sometimes I feel like the best Trek tropes are like, you know, Navy movie tropes or like wartime or maritime tropes, right? Where they're mm-hmm. actually using, they're kind of using classic or historical, um, you know, battle strategies. Uh, I I was rewatching uh, today, and there was an episode where like the boatswain whistle came up, right? And I think we take that for granted in Star Trek, especially from the mm-hmm. classic series. But it's like that's something that came from somebody who was like in, who had navy experience. That's why they put it on the show, right? So yeah. I, for me, that that felt like classic Trek. Like we're gonna pretend we're derelict, and we're gonna pretend that everyone's dead. You know what I mean? Like I thought, mm-hmm. I thought that was that felt very classic to me. Yeah, I put uh, just basically um, Vatic screaming, "Prepare a boarding party!" I love a good boarding <laughs> nice. party. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, 
nice. love an away mission. I love a good boarding party. Um, <laughs> go you know, away team, no, go. <laughs> no transporters, shuttles only. And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have three. So if anyone else has any one. Um, I have... Uh, I also have, whoops, Starfleet did a genocide. And that is just for this. Nice, whoops, nice. For this specific series, um, we've had a lot of tropes of like, you know what, Starfleet wasn't as great as, you know, it was portrayed to be in all those other series. Like, there were a lot of mistakes. You just didn't know about it. Or, you know, like every organization that big is going to fall prey to like bad actors or bureaucracy or incompetence or all of it. So I like that trope in this specific series. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And then I also have, I, I put a red shirt gets killed next to um, Captain Shaw, but there's oh, that's great. Shirts. Oh, I should have had that. That's, yeah. It doesn't that's matter. Classic. It's still that's perfect. Two oh, unnamed that's crew members <laughs> get killed immediately. <laughs> Yeoman Smith, guys. By Yeoman Smith. <laughs> like if they put them in red shirts, that's. I think they've stopped doing that because they know that that is a trope. It's too. But, yep. Yep. So that I actually rewound it because I was like, oh, what shirt were they? What color were were the shirts? Yeah, they keep changing the colors, and Strange New Worlds tried to dress it up by giving the guy a name and like a promotion ceremony that he was a lieutenant. Now it's like it's by any other name, guys. Don't you can't. <laughs> it's redone. <laughs> Uh, exactly and like they have a skeleton crew so i'm like yeah. are these two guys right two people? <laughs> where they find them for the ship's efficiency seems like they'd be pretty important uh, changing <laughs> what's your name what's your name no i don't want to know your name yeah. mine. your Not name is left gonna... and your name is right you're gonna die <laughs> yeah, right, yes. right. <laughs> changelings saying solids that was uh, one of oh, my, that was yeah. that's one of yeah. my favorite uh, line picks for later. But yes, it's that kind of slander is like that's I, that's my favorite. And yeah. like Kristen, you're not caught up, right? Mm-hmm. Brian, are you caught up? Oh yeah. Okay, there's a. Uh, it's going to come back, and it's going to be lovely, Kristen. Okay. There's a, so yeah. solids. We've not seen the last of the solid slander. Mm. <laughs> and then. Uh, I guess I don't know how to split this up. I'll split it up this way. This one's probably not a trope, but I'll run it by you guys and see what you say. I like when the actors hit the com badges unconventionally. Usually, oh, it's the yeah. right. It's usually it's the right hand just coming over and hitting it on the left side. But Sydney's hold. She's right handed. She's holding the phaser, so she hits it with her left hand. And then Jack, mm. when he's running, he actually raises his jacket up to his mouth. So like the com badge is like right next to his mouth. So it's like he's clearly. There's no, it's unambiguous what he's trying to say into the combat. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just like that mm-hmm. when they do it differently sometimes. That's fun. And then half of a good Trek trope, and this is my last one, wrestling with the moral dilemma. And it's in the second scene of the episode, I think. It's when it's Picard, Beverly, and Jordy. And Beverly's like, because of these modifications, I might be able to come up with some biological weapon or, or countermeasure against them. But because I'm, I'd be targeting their genetics. That that's tantamount to genocide, and it's and uh, Terry Metalis has said like I, I thought it would be you know a really tough decision to see our heroes contemplating genocide, and I very clearly remember in I Borg when they present to Picard the idea of the unsolvable fractal or 
puzzle that they were going to send with Hugh back to the Borg, and it would just cause the Borg mm. to melt down. We had a clear idea. I of can't what... do this Rubik's cube. Yeah, yeah ahead, exactly sorry. right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, it's got bubble sorry. gum inside. Oh, it's stuck to our fingers. Oh, oh no, uh, it... <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> but in this one, it's just it's not specific, and maybe that's a network note. We're like, we can't have them get into mm. the nitty gritty about it. But literally, mm-hmm. we have a couple of episodes earlier. Beverly's doing a uh, an autopsy. She's going deep into their biology about how far it takes till they break down. Um, and and then she's like, I could come up with a countermeasure or a weapon. And then we get no specifics about it. And Picard says, we'll work on it. And so it's half a good trope because they're wrestling with the moral dilemma, but I don't know the bounds of it. You know what I mean? So right. that, this that, right. reminds me of that Stephen A. Smith meme of, like you skip, you know I'm against genocide. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but. Maybe you should consider it. Yeah, that absolutely is what kills me every time. Yes, <laughs> yes, the absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, worst Trek tropes. Worst. So I think my my favorite worst trope was the shooting sequences. People Jesus. were shooting. It, it was it was like we were overlapping with stormtrooper times here. Like it was like <laughs> nobody was hiding. Like they're just all shooting, standing up. No one's taking cover and not hitting anything. It was bizarre. There are a couple of times where I'm like, oh my god, they had like five minutes to shoot this. And so that, that in some ways that felt like that felt very Trek because that is not an old that is an old problem. Um, but it was a bummer. It was like, oh, come on, guys. Like there's other episodes where that's been handled a lot more deftly and more exciting. Lot, lots of episodes in this season. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, I put overly dramatic or complicated imprisonment. Mm-hmm. and bad interrogating mm-hmm. oh god oh man um, the worst interrogating jesus christ these these are like I, the keystone cops i mean it is not good at all no like, and oh, how, about, how about we lay all of our cards on the table and like you're telling them her more than you're getting hashtag I both think, sides both sides are keystone cops because like you just said there is a lot the, of keystone cops <laughs> I mean, Jack doesn't even like hop over a barrier or like slide across a bed, a bio bed when he's in sick bay trying to. There's no, and then yeah, no. go ahead, Josh. You were gonna say and something. And there's no, no, but there's like there's no subterfuge of like, what if he pretended to get shot, or like mm-hmm. you know, so then they got closer and then it's like an actual entrapment, you know, yeah. like that would have been mm-hmm. maybe a little more interesting. But there is a little bit of like they're just running around the set and shooting and suddenly she's captured so like yeah I, i'm i agree Kristen. like that like it was it's a little bit like like come on guys <laughs> we're all kind of saying the same thing then because mine mine was basically technology only works when the writers want it to the shrike can yeah. kind of sort of detect life forms but only once they get on board why not just beam them up i understand that that's not as exciting but like literally they come aboard and then jack just walks up to them and that's it's just it's a little yeah. yeah it's not oh. very she's like oh they're all hiding and then he walks right yeah. out so she didn't detect the life form walking right up to them it's it's just I don't know. yeah so bad trick tropes there 
I'm willing to be to be dissuaded from this, but it seems that the the Vulcan crew member on the Titan is kind of useless for a Vulcan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like she just that... like she just yeah. shouts yes. out, you know, percentages yes. and you know what's happening on the ship. But I mean, you know, there's no there's no other fun angle there that they played, and yeah, they maybe they wanted to, but maybe there's not enough screen time. You know, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, agreed. I think another six or eight weeks of working on these scripts, they could have massaged some of, of the, these, the extra two to ten percent in all these episodes. And that's definitely, at least in this one, for sure. The, the crew does nothing, right? It's their ship. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. They're not doing anything. The This is just a, this is just a general trope, uh, not necessarily a Star Trek trope, but you have your villains in your uh, your glass prisons kind of thing uh like the glass wall prison where you have your like sexually ambiguous villain so you have like this has happened like with hannibal lecter loki uh magneto um those are the most recent examples but you're stepping all over my you (laughs) sorry (laughs) you have have your like interesting character you can't actually put them in, in like a real prison like you have to have no space between your characters. And I think also for budgetary reasons, they couldn't build a real one. They yeah. have a brig. We no, have, they have a brig it. set. They have the brig in, in episode well, two. But not here, Brian. No, not There's here. There's nothing standing between <laughs> they them. They already broke that set down. Whoops. There's nothing standing between them, and then they're going to put all their cards on the table and talk about what a tough time they're having and how they're losing their humanity. Yeah, they don't even step out of the right room to there. be like, well, man, the we're, we're really doing poorly, aren't we? <laughs> We're, right, we're so we're in most kidding. of its we're okay, in most of its time quality. No, no, no. We're in most of it. This is let's okay. just keep talking okay. about it. Uh, this is the Joker. It's all the thing you forgot. The Joker. Yeah. That was the other thing. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Sorry. So, no. So I'm just saying, like, oh, the Joker gets caught and then is very calm about it because their plan is still happening. And it and the interrogation. Also, this is the idea we're going to torture this person, right? That's very modern. Mm-hmm. It's like the only way we can get mm-hmm. answers is by torturing them, and. It was it like betrayed the characters in that moment. They just sold out. I guess I could understand Beverly's angle where she's like, I want, I need to protect my son at all costs, but Picard's not, there's no Picard in there from the, from the show. And they're, they okay. are really just like, can you say the next bit of uh, exposition to move this plot along? And she's like, it sure. Felt like, <laughs> it felt like they were, they were all speaking their subtext. That's what it felt like. Oh, that was like what I put. Looking, it was, yeah, yeah. It was. That's, it was that, all meta yeah. dialogue. They were just talking yeah. about yep. what they're talking yep. about. Yep, and the and it needed another layer. It needed another layer. Yep. Because it seems to me she's. I mean, Vatic at least calls out like, "Oh, you're the the good cop, and he's the bad cop, or whatever." And then that doesn't mm-hmm. that dynamic never and then plays they don't out. Do that. No. Yeah, and they don't do that. No. And then she mentions Project Proteus. <laughs> they were like, "Uh oh, she's she's figured us out." She's heard right. of good, good cop, bad cop. We're screwed now. <laughs> and it's just like, what is, what was the point of that scene? I think it was, they were really stuck on or they didn't fully think through or execute the idea of, we want to put these characters in a dark place. They're, they're pushed. They want to protect their son and they'll do whatever. It's that burn the world idea, right? They want to, mm-hmm. they want Elysian kingdom. This, this they mm-hmm. want to put in the audience's mind that our heroes are capable of killing a bad guy. Who's like just in a cell to protect their son. And that's how far they will go. And I think that's so of its time because it's like, we've seen that before. 
and the whole dynamic, the promise of the premise of doing Star Trek Picard, of reuniting him with all these characters is how would they deal with this problem? And instead you're saying, right. here's how characters in a TV show in 2023 deal with this problem. It's Kiefer Sutherland in 24. It's, and that's yep. it. And that's yeah. all we get. No, that like um, at one point Picard's like, well, we're not going to get any more information out of her. Let's just kill her. But I'm like, she still has Riker, does she not? Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> is but that not the she... only person who knows? Yep. Right. And Project Proteus, she mentions, and then we still get the bit where they're shooting at her. They're getting ready to kill her. And it's like, you could imagine a more massage version of the scene where Picard is trying to be the good cop. I guess I'm I'm pitching my thing now because she gives her whole backstory about, you know, Starfleet intelligence captured some changelings and then they tortured us and, and all that. The, by the way, the of its time extends into that flashback, like literally mm-hmm, down mm-hmm. to the evil scientists with the squeaky wheels. It's like a 21st century <laughs> lab. And it's like, okay, yeah, I get yeah. it. You're trying to say Star Trek is no better than how we live now. You all hate yourselves in the world we live in. Got it. Got it. I understand. But but then we get this whole story that elides Picard's involvement when it seemed like it would have been a perfect time to tie the next generation into the Dominion War. Because remember, we didn't see them really get involved. And this whole idea of, oh, we we sent a poison. We tried to kill all the changelings. And then Picard's like, but Starfleet gave you the antidote. And she said, yeah, but they chose not to. And, and she could have said, I don't think this makes our hero look bad. She said, where was the most moral man in the history of Starfleet when tortured beings needed his help? You knew about the virus. Did you buy, you are so turned off by genocide. You didn't even, you didn't even want to knock out the Borg after what they did to you, after what they did to your people. You didn't bother to find out what happened to the changelings that were captured. You knew about us. It's like an empty comparison. But yeah, so I'm saying like she could, but she could have tried to tie it in in a way that uh, provokes Picard. And so now his anger is even more justified in the moment because they're all really stuck on what do you want with Jack? But that doesn't really get anywhere. But anyway, when she says Project Proteus, that's when Beverly could have held on to her compass. She talks about I'm losing my compass. I want to kill this bitch. (laughs) And she could have just been like Project Proteus and then gone to the files right away. And then everything could have still happened. (laughs) <laughs> and I think the worst and the worst part of that is that we're kind of we're rooting for them to do it in at this point because and this is like what Kristen was sharing earlier is like we're all kind of we're starting to get bored a little bit. Like we're starting to get bored of how they are protecting Jack yeah. and people like, are dying. Cut to the chase. Cut <laughs> uh, to the chase, yeah. So it's like when they're when they aren't being active then then we're kind of it's it's like watching a friday the 13th movie where you're like oh okay i just need him to kill these people because they're stupid like jason please kill these people so you're <laughs> you're you end up rooting you end up rooting for the for the wrong thing right because mm-hmm. you're like you you need it to move and it's not moving yeah um i have one and that is every scene is so effing dark like i can't see a fucking thing on this show and like, mm-hmm. I, and at one point, I think for season one, maybe, or what maybe was our, when we did Strange New Worlds, I said, I can't believe I can actually see what's happening on screen because most shows nowadays, you can't see anything. And I commended that show for doing that. This one is like, oh, well, we don't want anyone to see how cheap the sets are or something. I don't know. Like they just 
couldn't like this one at all. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. really annoying. Josh, is this where you're going to start talking about the writerly issues you see here, or is that still later? Yeah, I think that's a great, I think it's a, thank you for that, uh, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, so speaking as a writer, and it's like, I know, like, for, this is how we do an animation, I know this is the case in uh, live action too, is that th- this was clearly a bridge episode between larger story beats, I don't want to spoil what's coming, but it's like between revelations. And it's super, super challenging to do that. And so they're they're trying to have a little fun. We've got this derelict idea. We've got this trap idea. Um, but it's really bridging between two larger events. So I think we're suffering a little bit from that. And I think like there's a there's a couple of places where we're seeing some major band-aids. Like there's a moment with Jack and Picard where he says, you know, where they're talking about their, uh, how are they going to get out of this? How, you know, I don't know how, what we need to do. And Picard goes, you know, what if we actually do, right? That's like the beat, mm-hmm. like, and, and that's, that's supposed to be the end of the scene. And then they cut to a reverse angle and they add in ADR Picard saying, I think I know how we can get Vatic, which they don't really need. But they're like band-aiding. There's also a little bit of that early on with Jordy and Data and Picard where they're adding ADR on some really uh, like static shots um, where there's no characters on screen. So there are a lot of kind of obvious band-aids that, that's happening. But it, what it made me feel like was that's what this episode is. It's a bridge. And so mm-hmm. a lot like there's things that characters can't do yet because they're about to do them but the problem is like dramatically we are all ready for them to do it mm-hmm. and and like the with uh, no spoilers Kristen, but it's like in the next episode they're gonna do stuff but they, <coughs> excuse me but they don't do it in this episode and i think rolling out of the previous episode we were ready for them to do stuff yeah i so we uh we had someone else do episode five and six so i watched that without taking any notes i was like oh my gosh i love these two episodes like i can't wait to see what's next then this episode came along and i was like oh well (laughs) exactly (laughs) all right i mean that i mean that's we can't have them on the ship this problem will be solved in five seconds yeah i know if Worf and rafi were there i think first of all rafi been like this is a shit plan John Lewis. <laughs> JL. Uh, she would have said yeah, JL. This is sorry. JL. I like it. I like it. And I like Worf it. would have been like, yeah. Mm. Hilarious. Hilarious. But not even like Seven of Nine saying like, we should use a holode- holodeck or holographic character. Use the AMH or whatever. It's like there's, whatever, no, yeah. there's no thinking to whatever. Make Jack a, a hologram. We saw that and the, people and I have guess mobile the, emitters. Yeah. The Vulcan crew member apparently never piped up and raised any alarms either about how mm-hmm. illogical this plan is. <laughs> like, that would be like, number one, hello. <laughs> this doesn't seem like a very good one here. <laughs> now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. I only have one, and it's when Vatic says to Jack, I thought you'd be taller. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's like, I like, I felt like a Western dunk. line. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. My favorite line other than the solids line was from Shaw. Blow the turbo lift. Blow the turbo lift. <laughs> which felt which felt very Shaw and I loved it. 
because there was there was subtext of get me off of this crazy ride where <laughs> I just am gonna get my ass kicked every other scene. Like, how many yeah. more times do I need to like almost kick the bucket uh, on my own ship? So I just I loved that. I love that. I love that. Blow the turbo lift. Data, the scimitar, Picard. That was many years ago. Data. Hmm. That would explain why you're so old. Time has been very cruel to you. <laughs> I apologize for the outburst, Captain. I am not in complete control of this body, nor am I in control of my utter revulsion at your ancient face. <laughs> and, you know, Brent, Brent Spiner's so relationship with all these people, you know, he enjoyed saying that to Patrick Stewart. Oh, but, my God. Yes. So those oh, lines yeah. made me laugh a lot. But I have to be honest, the meta Alondra line of. So has Laura always been the Sarge? Really made me laugh out loud. Yeah, I enjoyed so good. that. Yeah. Uh, a serious line, I like Jordy uh, saying that this is more art than engineering when he was talking about the new Data's mm-hmm. body. I really like that. Mm-hmm. I really like Vatic's line after she takes over the bridge. I did this not out of cruelty, but mercy. To be mutable, fluid, mm-hmm. means knowing what the river knows, that there are many ways to the same sea. And then Laura's line, obviously, survival. This is in the trailer. Survival. It's human nature, pal. I think it's more with Brent Spiner. He is great when he's Lore. He's so good. They're giving him. <laughs> they're giving him all this fun stuff to do, and it's a. I think it's a wonderful reminder of the dude's range. Like yeah. he made us fall in love with Data by restraint, a very restrained performance. Yeah. And the reality is, the guy's got chops. And yeah. so every time the, the and I think is the, a bit of the, a ham as it turns he out. He is such a fun ham. No, he's he's absolutely one hundred percent a ham. Yeah, he's mostly ham on a on a ham and ham sandwich. But like the yeah. joy, I think of the this kind of uh, while convoluted at times, this lovely combine data is is you're leaning into the actor's skill set, and that's really smart. It's good for the nostalgia. It's good for the fans. But I think it's actually great for the show. And it gives Spiner a lot to do. And that is smart. That's strategic. The Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. Kristen, go first. I'm very interested to hear what you say. I really don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Josh, who got? If I'm understanding these correctly, I think it's LeVar Burton. Like, oh, for, okay. for really, really good stuff. Because the Shatner, I'm, a, I'm like, that's that's where we're digging in and we're eating scenery. Yes. Is that going for it? Well, yeah. the way that yeah. the way that Brian has described it is it's going for it. But the clip that he gave me as an example is of um, William Shatner chewing the scenery. So, yeah, you bet. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I think, having, I think it's the LeVar Burton version of himself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it's LeVar Burton this episode. Yeah, I'll go with that. I'm fine with that. I'm yeah. fine with it. The award goes to yay! All right, the Shatner. Josh, do you have anybody for the Shatner? Yeah, it's Amanda Plummer the, uh... all the time. Yeah, Amanda okay. Plummer sure. episode. Yeah, like yeah. I don't... why are we even talking about it, Kristen? To, to be different. <laughs> oh, okay. I put this plan that they've come up with. <laughs> oh, um, I, oh, I like that. It was going for it, and you know what? Maybe should not have gone for it quite yeah. as much. Especially Jack's portion of the plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the Kobayashi yeah. entrapment. That's what they. <laughs> but i also put vatic as well (laughs) all right which part of this are they teaching at starfleet academy i think they're teaching (laughs) let's see if i can phrase this right like they're teaching the 
two Vox sequence, seven, the seven of nine at the top. They're teaching that. But I was I like thinking it. that someone someone might be trying to teach the entrapment thing, but maybe they teach it better. Maybe that's what it is. I put that they might be teaching how to torture changelings. Ooh. Um, oh, wow. Oh they God. apparently <laughs> had been doing that in a lab. It's, it's I know, they one. took a totally unhinged person and they're like, put that person in Starfleet, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's Kristen, it's only that one, that very bohemian history professor who's teaching that. Because he wants everyone to know the truth. <laughs> Uh, I'm dragging in your your Shatner, Kristen, and I'm saying they're teaching okay. the terrible ruse that they the, like all the the weak points in that whole plan. They're saying this is bad tactics. <laughs> what you yeah, they're not teaching. Do. They're not teaching yeah. the subtleties of subterfuge or yeah. any of that. No, because like no. in they, they have case studies, right? So this is a case study in a terrible field uh, um, planning. I do have a question though. So, if, if the new data slash lore has a positronic body, does that mean that he's still super strong, or has that gone away? I think it. I think he still has it. The Malibu mansion that all the androids were chilling on in season one—that's where he's from. Yeah, they all mm-hmm. have stre- super strength. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's that's not true. using it yeah. inexplicably, but. Yeah, right. Uh, Data, can you go rip these people in half, please? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so for this season, we're or for this run of episodes, we're doing a new grade for, right before our final one. What part of this episode is Picard embellishing in or omitting from his memoirs? Um, I think he's going to omit the part where Lore comments about how old he looks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he I might keep in Go ahead, the other part about Jordy's daughter not being super bright. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like totally sold on that though. <laughs> he was appendix. so mean to yet. Yeah. I would say that he's leaving out the part where he casually suggests he's going to blow Vatic away. Yeah. With yep. the phaser and and the, the and that and then giving away all of their inner monologues and struggles with the bad guy just standing there. I think he That's might a, be mm-hmm. he might be editing that down for time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like Lore uh messed with the force field and she got away. And that's that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Trek, Mary, kill uh, Dominion, and we'll we'll go to Kristen this time. Oh boy! <laughs> Can it be like a halfway between <laughs> Trek and Kill? <laughs> like I don't, I feel bad about killing any episode of Picard season three, but um, well, I didn't well, care for this episode at all, Josh. So I'm, Kristen, I'm with you, and I think watching the second time just put me over the edge that it's Trek instead of Kill because oh. of all those elements that we called out. Because mm-hmm. of the, like, the opening sequence, because for me, that I love the elevator bit, for when, you know, he's puppeting Sydney for the bit, you know, even the, uh, and the entrapment idea, especially the derelict ship part, because they actually went to the trouble to have that recording which I actually really enjoyed. It was just a small bit, but I liked it. Um, mm-hmm. 
So that kind of that literally just took me over the edge because I my my first takeaway was I was like I was like oh cool I'm gonna talk to people about Star Trek and then and then it was like oh it's this episode and so I'm watching the episode previous and I'm like dope dope and then I'm watching this one I'm all damn it <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's just the way the schedule works it's just the way <laughs> it's the way the Enterprise crumbles was I was just like oh man. Um, or it's the way that Shaw gets beat up. That's just where it lands. It's where yeah, the I, red shirt rolls. Where yeah. the red shirt uh, fumbles. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm barely Trek, but it's by percentage points. Kristen, did that sway you? I think so. I, I mean, I don't want to be the only one who kills it, so... Oh, good, because then I'll kill it, and so that's fine. <laughs> and it'll be, it'll yeah, still be a track. Though, then it'll we have to yeah, 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 do another stupid poll and that no, no. one participates in. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I really feel like the data Jordy scenes are are worth and the Tuvok scene and it's like uh-huh. eh, but those seem like this seems like one of those episodes where you don't rewatch you just watch the clips on YouTube mm. and and so I don't uh-huh. know but uh, I guess I guess we're all like a tepid trek make sure you okay. watch oh this I like one. that actually I like tepid trek I think it's Ma- make sure you fair. watch it either with it's you got you can't watch it by itself watch it with one of the other ones <laughs> whatever on either yep. side of mm. it don't watch like, it alone. Yeah, it I, I a, watched it, a, unfortunately. Yeah. No, it needs a sandwich. It needs a sandwich. You yeah. gotta have some bread on the sides. Well, Josh, mm-hmm. we've we've come to the end of our time, Josh. Is there anything you'd like to plug for the people out there? Sure. Well, first, thank you guys. This was a total blast, and I would love to come back. This was really fun. Um, and uh yeah, to for on the plugging side, uh if folks want to uh follow me, I talk a little bit about writing and I talk about uh, comics and writing books uh, at, at Zombie Tardis on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and I actually had my latest graphic novel just came out this week. Um, oh, it is oh, on the younger Thank you. It is on the younger side, but for, for, for uh, fans out there who have kids, it's a spinoff of the Last Kids on Earth series. It's called The Last Comics on Earth. And it's got this really wild high concept where the kids living essentially in the apocalypse at the end of the world get to the end of their favorite comic, realize no one else is going to make them, hence that's why they're in the apocalypse, uh-huh. and they decide to make their own comic themselves. And that's and what's what the age range on, on this one? We're like, I want to say like 7 to 12. Okay. Is like our nice. sweet spot. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds seven great. To 12. Thanks. But yeah, thanks, you guys. This was really fun. Yeah, it was was great having you. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Until then, TMK out. Bye.